Uh, today, I'm excited. We're going to talk about something that's kind of connected to the name of this conference, freedom. And, and I want to ask you, I want you to think about this. You know, we're, we're in this place. You're sitting here. And many of you, I'm going to assume you're sitting here because at some point in your life, there was an intersection where the Lord came, kind of like Victor said, and he showed you some things. He showed you things in your life that, that, that you were doing that weren't in accordance with His Word. He showed you that the Bible from Genesis to Revelation is all still actually applicable to your life today. And that changed your life. You started doing things you've never thought you'd do before. You started looking at the world differently. You started meeting new people that you would have never met before. And that's why, at the end of the day, many of you are here. But at the same time, can we be real? Just because we came to the understanding of His beautiful law, that didn't mean it immediately or our bondages just went away. There are many of us who, in fact, you might be sitting here and you don't need to raise your hand, but many of us are still in bondage. Many of us feel like we're still enslaved in Egypt. The only thing that for some of us may have changed is we started keeping other rules, but our life's disasters haven't stopped. It may have just gotten worse. And today I want to talk about this. You see, 2,000 years ago, about there was a congregation that was probably quite similar to this one. It was full of people who came together every Sabbath to study the Torah. And they loved it. They had access to it. It was similar, except it was a synagogue. And then one day, a man walked in. His name was Yeshua. He walked to the front to the podium, something probably similar like this, I don't know. And a Torah scroll was handed to him. He unrolled the scroll and he opened, it was the scroll of Isaiah. And as he unrolled it, he read from it. And what he read was the following, Luke 4, 18. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor, he has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind. To set at liberty those who are oppressed. To proclaim the, years, the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll, he handed it to the attendant, and he just sat down. And all, everyone's eyes were fixed upon him. And he sat down and he just said, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Now hold on. These people, they were coming together every Sabbath. They believed that the law was liberty like Victor just read. And amen it is. They believed that there was blessing in keeping it. They believed in the God who gave it. They believed it all. But yet, some of them were still sitting in that synagogue even though they came every Sabbath. Some of them still had bondage. In fact, we know this because he said, today something is changing. I am standing in your midst and this scripture is being fulfilled today with me being here. You see, brothers and sisters, the reality is as if the Torah scrolls in of itself had everything they ever needed, Yeshua would have never even need to come. 
because there would have been no purpose for it. If this scroll fixed everything in of itself, Yeshua wouldn't need to have come. The Torah is wonderful, holy, beautiful, if it is used for what it was given for. You see, the Father gave it to show us our sin, to show us how to live a life that is pleasing, holy, set apart, how to live a life that's pleasing to Him. But at the end of the day, when we start using it for something it was not designed for, when we start misunderstanding its application, we can, sit, we can become much like the Pharisees of the first century, those certain Pharisees that came against Him. Because they had the Torah scrolls, like we mentioned. They had it all. They had all the knowledge. All these people in the, in the synagogue, they had access to all the knowledge. But something was missing. And the missing ingredient showed up that day. Yeshua. But see, what was it about Yeshua that made Him anointed to do what He said He came to do, to set the captives free? I mean, yes, He was the Messiah. That's a big deal. But what was it about Him? What anointed Him? He said... He started it out and he said, the first thing he said was, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Now, what does he say? Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Now, let me ask you this. Where the Spirit of the Lord is not, there is? Even if there is a law, you can keep it all. You can know it all. The Spirit of the Lord is not there. You have no freedom. Some of us, for, for, it's a kind of hard to get there in the beginning, but when you start realizing the importance, it's hard to turn back and do this any other way. You start realizing that God didn't design this thing to just be this law that you keep, you try and do on your own, because by the way, you can't. That's right. We tried that. They tried that in the wilderness. Did they, did they make it? Did they do it? Did they succeed? If they did, we wouldn't need Yeshua. Yet again, we wouldn't have needed Him. The point is we need Him because you can't do it alone. You need His Holy Spirit. Now, you say, you can, you can tell me, Peter, yeah, I, I believe that Holy Spirit stuff. I believe the Holy Spirit was poured out all those years ago. You know, Acts 2, that happened. I believe that. Do you believe He still is poured out? Because it's one thing to believe a his, history lesson. It's another to believe the reality of what's happening and supposed to happen in and through you and in your midst everywhere you go. That nothing really changed along the way. You see, theologians have written things have changed. It was an apostolic thing. It stopped. It ceased. Oh, well. We have the Bible now. Guess what? We're back at square one then. We tried that. We tried just the Word without the Spirit before it didn't work. I want to take you to Mount Sinai for a moment. You see, on that mountain... Israel is at the base of the mountain. God is up there and He is about to give them the most important document to you, that humanity has ever received. In fact, it's so important when you walk into this building, it's on the walls. We call it the Ten Commandments. It's revered. It's known. But before God gives it, He says something. He, he says a preface to it. And He says the following. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Before he gives them this most important document, he wants Israel to know two things. Who he is, and he wants to remind them of what he has done for them. He says, I am Yahweh, the Lord your God. 
the one who brought you out of the house of slavery. Israel, before I give you a law today, I want you to know something. I want you to know that my desire from the beginning, from the garden to the end, it's always been for you to have freedom. That was the purpose. If you want to know anything about me, remember this. I desire freedom for you. If you want to know anything about the Lord, know this. He wants you free. And before he even gave this law, he said, look, I want you free. And that's at the end why he gave it too. And then he reminds them of what he's done for them. I am the one who brought you out of that house of slavery in Egypt. I'm the reason that you're standing here as free men. I am the reason. You see, Israel, it's not because you did something. It's not because you were good at keeping the Sabbath. It, I mean, they didn't even have it given to them yet. It wasn't because they were good people. It was because they were chosen. It was because he loved them. But no one could take credit, not Moses, because at the end of the day, it was no one but the Spirit of God who came upon Moses as a baby, protected him when he was pushed down the river to protect him from, the, from, the, from Pharaoh. It was the Spirit of God that called him to the burning bush. It was the Spirit of God that met him there and gave him his spiritual gift of miracles. It was the Spirit of God that commissioned him to go to Pharaoh. It was the Spirit of God that poured out the plagues upon Egypt. It was the... You see, the law was not yet given. The law is wonderful, holy, and good. I'm going to say that, that a lot because I want you to know that I'm not saying anything except that. But I want you to know that the law was not what set them free at this moment. It was the Spirit of God. Now there is freedom in keeping the law because God blesses us when we keep the law. Now I want to read to you what Paul said here, 2 Corinthians 3, verse 3. And you show that you are a letter from Christ, delivered by us, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. What does this even mean? He's saying, you sitting here, you're a letter. You're supposed to be a letter from Christ at the end, delivered to the world. Well, what does that even mean? I mean, look, there's a... You are sitting here for a reason. You're passionate for a reason. There's something that happened in your life. There's an encounter you had with the living God. And He set you free somewhere in your life. Somehow, our stories are different. He's provided. He's opened doors and He's closed doors. He has carried you on eagle's wings. You have a story. You have a letter. You are that letter. And he says that letter that you are, you're not a letter like any other letter. You see, typically our letters, our history books, our stories are written with ink on a piece of paper. We read it to our children. A long time ago, this and that happened. Or in a history book, we read what happened in the past. He says, you're not like that. You're not like something that, because the world, they need something more than a history lesson. They need a living, walking manifestation of what is still happening because if our God is actually alive, still, today, working actively, that means that it's not just in history. It's supposed to be in you here now, today, alive. The Spirit of God is supposed to be writing on you. He says, you're written not with ink, but with the Spirit of God. 
They can't deny that. And you must have that. Because, and you see, we've had this backwards because we try to tell, okay, it's good. Look, it's good to teach people the Bible. It's good to point to history. It's good. But if you do that, but you don't have it live playing out in your life in a way where people can't deny it before you go and show them more, there's no point. You see, Moses didn't come to Pharaoh. Just hear me out, please don't misunderstand me. But Moses didn't go to Pharaoh with the stone tablets. Hey, you need to let Israel go because of the stone tablets. That may have been nice, but it wouldn't have worked. It must have been by the power of God that he would be convinced. And Israel, the children of Israel, would have not been convinced unless they themselves saw the power of God deliver them, give them confidence and faith. That's what people need. And he says this letter that you are, you're a letter not written on stone, but on the hearts of men. Not written on stone, but on the hearts of men. You see the stone tablets, the law is beautiful, righteous, holy, good, amazing. But because it was delivered to a people who had stone hearts, you know, stone tablets delivered to stone hearts, it doesn't sound like that would go down well. And it didn't. You see, God says, you're a letter not written on stone, but I want to write you on the hearts of men. There's a prophecy about this. Ezekiel 36, 26, and I will give you a new heart. And a new spirit I will put in you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh, and I will give you a heart of flesh, and I'll put my spirit in you, and cause you to walk in my statutes, and be careful to obey my rules. God is saying something huge here. He says, I'm going to give you a heart transplant. You know, if you went to a doctor today and he looked at your heart and he was like, Tom, there's something really wrong with your heart. I'm going to need to take it out and give you a new one. That's bad news. That's, that's a vital organ. That means usually that if that is not going to happen soon or at some point, you may not have long to live. And God says, you need a heart transplant. He is like that doctor telling you something is wrong. And he comes and he says, you have a heart of stone. What's wrong with a heart of stone? It's stubborn. It's dead. I don't know when it was the last time you checked, but rocks, they're not, they're not breathing. They're, they're dead. So the stone is dead. It's stubborn. It doesn't have discernment and the spirit cannot indwell it. But see, now what happens is God says, I'm going to take that out of you. I'm going to do heart surgery and I'm going to put a heart of flesh in you. Something that my spirit can indwell and fill and empower. And now when that happens and you become that letter to the world, you're going to be able to have my, my spirit work in and through you and do the same to them. Their heart of stones are going to change by the spirit of God into a heart of flesh. Do you see that you are not just, you are, you are an active participant, supposed to be, in providing this freedom that Yeshua said He came to start. He said, I came to set the captives free. It didn't end with His standing in that synagogue. It's continuing today in your life with you being filled with the Spirit. Everywhere you go, there is responsibility. And that's freedom. But see, when we look at the Pharisees, that's those certain Pharisees who came against Yeshua, they had those stone hearts. There was a day that the, uh, the disciples, I walked through this grain field, they're on the way somewhere important, I'm sure, probably to preach the gospel, probably to do some of that captivity, setting the captives free stuff. 
And as they're walking through this field, they're getting hungry. And they're picking from, these, from the grain and they're, they're eating. And certain Pharisees came and they see, well, what are you guys doing? You're doing what's not lawful to do on the Sabbath. Because it's work, right? And what does Yeshua say? He, he responds to them. And he says this. Have you not read what David did when he did when he was hungry and those who were with him and how he entered the house of God and ate the bread of the presence, which was not lawful for him to eat, nor for those who were with him, but only for the priests. And he says in verse seven, and if you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would have not condemned the guiltless. You see, when you're busy setting captives free, doing the Lord's work, and you have a Holy Spirit in you, filling you, giving you discernment that's alive, you have a greater understanding of what the law is actually supposed to do. You see, the Pharisees were stuck in the letter in, in terms of this is what it says, don't do that, but they've missed the point of it. That it's supposed to, the law is supposed to bring life and freedom, work alongside the kingdom of God and being part of the mission. And so that means that Yeshua and his disciples were actually keeping the Sabbath better than any of those Pharisees. Because they were busy with the Father's business. The Pharisees were busy with judgment. And Yeshua said, I wish you knew. Why don't you know that I desire mercy and not sacrifice? Because then you wouldn't have condemned the guiltless. You see, he says, you need to err on the side of mercy. Because many of you are focused on condemnation. You're focused on judgment. And because you do not show mercy and you condemn the guiltless, you will not be shown mercy. Because at the end of the day, how you treat your brothers and sisters will be how the Father looks at you and treats you. Now, I don't know about you, but I need a lot of mercy. And I don't want to come before Him in my time of need and have had a history and a past like what these certain Pharisees had. Because that's going to keep freedom from my doorstep. Because I was not ministering freedom and having mercy to others when they needed it. See, brothers and sisters, we're talking about freedom. I'm telling you that if you desire freedom, you need the fruits of the Spirit. You need to start manifesting the Spirit of God and everything He gave you to other people. So that when you're in your time of need, God will show you those same mercies. I want to read on what Paul said. You remember how he told you you are a letter? Now he goes on and he says this. Such is the confidence that we have through Christ towards God. He says you being filled with the Spirit, having you being this letter written on the hearts of men, you being this letter written by the Spirit. He says such is the confidence we have in the Spirit. Let me ask you a question. Let's be real for a second. What do you put your confidence in? Do you put it in your keeping of the law? Do you put it in His Holy Spirit? Now, let's take this easy. Because some of you may be like, Peter, are you speaking against the law? No. But I am asking you, what do you put your confidence in? Your confidence to be made free. Your confidence to help to partake with the Lord in setting others free. Your confidence in your salvation. Your confidence in His power, where does it come from for you? You see, here's the deal. When you go into your kitchen, you have appliances there. You have a refrigerator, a toaster, and all kinds of things. 
And you know that you need to plug that appliance into the wall. Because if you don't, it's not turning on. Because that power is going to your power company. And that power company needs to supply good, clean power to your appliance so it can do everything it was designed to do. Now, if I unplug that appliance and I'm like, you know what, I have a better idea. I'm going to rewire it so I can plug it into itself so it can generate its own power. And then, yeah, just turn on that toaster. You're going to wait a long time for that bread, aren't you? But yet at the same time, some of us have tried to rewire ourselves, maybe even unknowingly, instead of being plugged into God, His Spirit as being the source of power, we have relied. Our confidence has been in ourselves because at the end of the day, if you say, my confidence is in my law keeping, that is your ability. It's how well you do today. But if you wire yourself up that way, you're not going to turn on. You're not going to be able to manifest any of what we have been talking about. You see, brothers and sisters, at the end of the day, the Father gave us His Spirit, and He wants us to rely on His Spirit. He says this, Paul goes on and he says this, Not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything is coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God, who has made us sufficient to be ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit, for the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Many people have been confused by this. He's simply saying, when he says the letter kills, he's talking in context of what we've been talking about. You rely on the letter, your own abilities to keep the Lord to save you. Yeah, you're going to die. You need a Messiah. In John 5:39, Yeshua says himself, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they that do bear witness of me. They point to him. All the law, Torah and prophets point to him. But yet you refuse to come to me, that I may give you life. You see the difference? James 1.25 But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty and perseveres, being no hearer but who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. Amen, right? When you keep the law... You will be blessed. But is it the law in of itself that is the thing that blesses you? No, it is the Father who sees your observance, how you try, and you're not perfect. But He has mercy, and in His mercy, He blesses you. And He is the one who sets you free, gives you everything you need. Now, but Petey, the law say, you know, it says in the Torah, if you keep this, you'll be blessed, and if you don't, you'll be cursed. Amen. Yeah, that's true. So what does this have to do with it all? You see, many people believe that if something bad happens to someone, a disaster comes upon their life, well, it must be, as like according to the scripture, it must be that there is something they're doing wrong. They're not keeping the law. There's some sin, some secret sin they have, something they've done wrong. What is it, right? I mean, the, the disciples had that same idea floating in their minds because in the first century when they were walking with Yeshua, what happened? They're coming across this blind man. They see him and they ask Yeshua, what, what, what is it that made him being born blind? Was it that he sinned? Was it that his parents sinned? What, what happened? 
And Yeshua says, no, it's not that he sinned. It's not his parents. This is not because of that. This is because this is for the glory of God. God is about to do something here. And then he healed him. And that became a witness to people. And it brought salvation to many. And it became all the more worth it. Because God had a plan. But see, brothers and sisters, we need to be careful. Because it's easy and tempting to figure out why things go wrong in our lives. Why there is a disaster that struck someone's life. And we try and figure out the reasons. And it's really easy to grab for that reason that it must be because of their sin. It must be because of what they did wrong. That's what Job's friends thought. Remember? Job is sitting on top of the world. He's, got, he's, he's the most blessed man that there is. They call it the you pattern of Job. He's first, he's, he's got prosperity and everything. And then suddenly he loses everything. He, economic disaster hits him financially. Health and everything else you can likely think of goes wrong in his life. And his friends, they show up. And they're there. They're trying to figure out what is going on with Job. And as they're there, they're saying, well, Job, it must be that something is there in your life. That's a sin that you've been, maybe you don't know about it, but you're, or you're hiding it or something. And in fact, let me read one of his friends what, what he said. In Job 8.5, If you will see God and plead with the Almighty for mercy, if you are pure and upright, if, surely then he will rouse himself for you and restore your rightful habitation. Surely, if you were just a bit more perfect and better, a better law keeper, nothing bad would have happened to you. That must be the reason. Now, don't get me wrong. It's true what the law says. If you break it, there's consequence. There are curses that can come upon our lives. And if you keep it, there are blessings. But it doesn't, it's not a hard and fast rule that that's always why. And his friends didn't understand this. Because at the end of the day, if you know the story of Job, you'd know that that's not why things went wrong with him in his life. It was because Satan came and there was this test. Will he continue trusting in God even though he doesn't know what's going on, even though it seems like God has forsaken him? And God allowed it, right? But Job's friends pointed to Job's law-keeping as the issue. Now consider this. Job was a righteous man. This, we know this. Scripture tells us. Imagine you're Job, and, and I want to submit to you that there are some of you in this audience who were like Job. You have been trying your best to be obedient. You have loved the Lord with everything, have had good charity and works. But yet, bad things came across your life. Some stuff happened. And then people started coming into your life, friends, family, maybe someone in your fellowship. And they tried to figure it out, and they said, well... Must be because of your sin, something you don't even know about. You need to dig deeper, dig deeper, dig deeper, find it, find it, find it. What is it? And until you find it, you're going to be in bondage forever. Let me just tell you this, that if you believe that, and this is not an issue of sin, which the Lord, by the way, will quickly point out by His Holy Spirit, because that's what He does. But if this is not an issue of sin, but you believe those friends, that's going to keep you in bondage. Because what's going to happen in your mind? God has forsaken me because I'm asking him to show me what I did wrong, but he doesn't. God is not here because look at everything that's happening to me. My friends are showing me, telling me it must be something in my life. But Lord, what is it? 
God, have you forsaken me? And I keep holding on to the fact that it must be something I did because it's based on my performance all over again. The confusion, the feeling of separation from the Lord. But Job didn't have the belief in, his, in the words of his friends. Instead, he believed in the Father. He believed that God was up to something, even though if he didn't know what it was. He trusted in the Lord, even through this dark, walking through this darkness where he doesn't know where he is, or where he's going. And that at the end of the day was his salvation, his deliverance. When God, he trusted God and God showed up and God said something about Job's friends. I want to read this to you. The Lord said to Eliphaz, the Temanite, my anger burns against you and against your two friends, for you have not spoken of me what is right as my servant Job has. Now therefore take seven bulls, seven rams, go to my servant Job and offer up a burnt offering for yourselves. And my servant Job shall pray for you, for I will accept his prayer, not to deal with you according to your folly. For you have not spoken of me what is right as my servant Job has. God is telling them, I rebuke you because you didn't treat, you misrepresented me. You told Job that it's because of his sin, but it wasn't. It had nothing to do with that. You lied inadvertently or advertently, who knows? And he says, you need to pray, I'm paraphrasing, you need to pray that Job prays for you because at the end of the day, if Job prays for you, I'll, I won't let you have what you deserve. I'll have mercy on your life. And, he, and Job, God comes to Job and he tells Job the following. He says this, 42 verse 10. And the Lord restored the fortunes of Job when he had prayed for his friends. And the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before. Now get this part. The Lord restored the fortunes of Job when he had prayed for his friends. Those men who were like betrayers, those men who misrepresented God, those men who could have led Job down a great path of confusion and uncertainties, who may have come into his relationship with God, giving bad advice and counsel, God expected Job to manifest God's character of mercy. And he said, Job, I want you to pray. And Job prayed, had mercy on his friends. And he said, and it says, when he prayed, forgave them. And ultimately, his fortunes were restored back to him and he had more than he ever had before. There are some of you sitting here. You've been struggling to attain freedom because you, you weren't sure where you were sitting, where, where you are with the Lord. You felt like He's not there. He felt like He's forsaken. You felt like it must be my sin, but you don't know what it is because you've tried every hook and corner. You've cleaned out the leaven, but you can't find it. But what if the Father is here and He's saying, are you going to believe in me like Job believed in me, even when you couldn't see what was happening and what was going on? And will you believe in me despite the opinions and chatters of men. Because at the end of the day now, what is left for you is if you have this person in your life or someone who betrayed you like Job's friends did, I want to ask you, is it not time to forgive? Is it not time to give this to the Lord and surrender it to Him? Men will let us down over 
and over and over again, they can be as holy looking. Job's friends were believers. They will let you down. The Lord will not let you down. But if you hold on to the garments of men, there's no freedom there. You need to hold on to his garment. You need to let him, let his power come out of him into you to set you free from your bleeding. You see, it was Job's belief. Peter one day was walking through a village and he got pulled aside and he was asked to come to a house. He was brought into this house. It was the house where a lady was. Her name was Tabitha. Reported to have good works and good charity. Probably a good Torah-keeping woman. But she was dead. As her body laid there, Peter chased everyone out of the room. He went to sit down by her body and he prayed to the Lord. He said, Father, I, I can just imagine what went through his mind. You see, Peter, in that moment, he didn't depend on his, anything of himself because he knew there was nothing he could do. He knew, Lord, I can do nothing. You must do everything for anything to happen. And he prayed, and Tabitha, she awoke from her slumber. Peter would have never even tried if he didn't have belief, if he didn't trust God above what he was seeing. There are many, some of you who are just like Tabitha. You have good charity, good works, you love his law, but you're dead inside. You're inside, it's like you're in a slumber. And the Father is saying, I want to awake you from your slumber, but will you believe? You see, you, do you believe He is able? If He is able to raise the dead to life, is He, is ab is he able to raise your sleeping soul awake again to life? Is He able to resurrect you? Again, are you willing to step out on the water and believe that? Look, I know that it's easier and more comfortable to hold on our, to our own abilities, what we can control at the end of the day, than to trust in God, His Spirit. That's something we can't control. That's scary. And I know you could tell me, well, Petey, you know, I've tried it all. I've tried everything the world has to offer. I've tried everything possible, but have you tried the impossible? Have you tried that which God says with men, these things are impossible with me. Nothing is impossible. Your issues are not impossible to wait for him, even if the best doctor or therapist said, I can't help you. God today is saying, if you're willing to believe me, like you say you do, I can set you free from that deepest, darkest sin that's on your heart right now. If you're willing, if you're willing to have faith, if you're not, there will be more bondage. If you will trust in your own abilities, there will be more bondage. If you think that it's dependent on how well you kept the Sabbath today, there will be more bondage because you will never do it good enough to bring your own freedom if you think you can wire yourself up to yourself. You need Him. You're awful quiet. Can I get an amen? Amen. amen? 
Father, I just pray that you would just come into this place and do something right now. We need you, Holy Spirit. I really need you right now, Lord. Like Peter, with Peter, Lord, I can do nothing. You must do everything. You see, brothers and sisters, at the end of the day, it's not just, I don't want you to go away here. You see, uh, what I want you to go away with is freedom. But I don't want you to go away with just freedom. I want you to go away becoming freedom. Because that's what Yeshua called us to at the end of the day. You see, for some of us, it's been that we come to this understanding that we are a, you want to call it a Hebrew, an Israelite, or whatever, you know, you've become part of this covenant grafted in. But sometimes along the way, what gets lost and forgotten is the fact that we're also sons of the living God. It's kind of like Victor said earlier. There's all these denominational labelings, right? Hebrew roots, Messianic, Catholic, Lutheran, Seventh Adventist. Okay, it's so, such a long list. I think it's 33,000 plus right now, right? And at the end of the day, you could easily label yourself as one of those, and that's fine. I'm not against any of that per se. But are you a disciple above all else first? Is that who you are? Is that your identity? Because see, one day I remember I was stood in a fellowship and they told me, and there was a lady and she told me, well, we're not disciples. Because, you know, she was a Hebrew root person, a believer, right? I'm not a disciple. I'm, I'm in Hebrew roots. That's who I am. That's my identity. Because see, somehow becoming a follower is one thing and a disciple is another. You see, there were many followers of Yeshua, but they didn't last. Some of them did, some of them not, didn't. Some of them went to a mountain, listened to him, and then he said something a little too crazy, and then they departed because it was just, they couldn't take it. His disciples, those closest to him, sticked with him through it all, and they imitated him. You see, it's easy to say, I am this or that label, Hebrew or Messianic or Catholic or whatever, because it puts me within the bounds of my denomination, and it doesn't put on me any responsibility of imitation of my Messiah. But a disciple is one who imitates his rabbi in every way, and that means that you're going to do what his disciples did. And you can't say, well, you know, that was his disciples. That's what they did. God has called you. He is, awa- he is awakening your soul, not only to the truth of His Torah and the preciousness of that, but to the truth and the reality of the power of His Spirit to enable you to go out into the world and become the same light that Moses was, because it was by the power of the Spirit, like we mentioned, that He brought people out of their slavery by the power of God. So God, we come to you right now, Lord, and Father, I ask that you would come into this place and show us our stone hearts, even if we've been confident that we didn't have one. Lord, I pray, God, that you would come and show up right now. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would come and show every corner of our heart to us that we did not know, may have not even known was there. And I pray, Lord, right now that you would come and do heart surgery I pray you would come and take out our heart of stone. And I pray you would come and put in our heart of flesh. Lord, we love your law, but Lord, we need your spirit. And so Holy Spirit, I pray you would enter this room, this place right now. I pray you would fill it. And Lord, I pray that you would fill each person right now, Lord, with your discernment and freedom. Father, I thank you, Lord, 
So listen, I, I just feel that if there's anyone right now, right here, I want you to be bold. Who's listening, you've listened to this and you've heard in your soul, the Holy Spirit cry out and say, yes, yes, this is you come forward. I want you to be bold today. It's not for me. It's not for anyone here. It's for the Lord. I want you to come forward and I want you to come because we're going to pray for an outpouring of the spirit. If you feel like you need an outpouring of the spirit in your life, I want you to come forward. If you need freedom in your life, I want you to come forward. Now, come on guys. Father, I pray, Lord, for a next level of boldness that you would give us the boldness that you gave Moses before that Red Sea. Lord, I pray that when we go away here, we would go away changed. That this wouldn't just be some party and fellowship, but that we would go away changed. Lord, I know that, Lord, this word, Father, you know, Lord, that what you call us to is such a high standard that's only attainable by your spirit. And so we cry out and we say, Lord, without your spirit, we can do nothing. We need your spirit to enable us to keep your instructions and to manifest your power to the world. Father, I thank you right now, Lord. We speak to every migraine headache. I see migraine headaches. Who struggles with that? You're not right now, but who ha you have it. Okay. Father, I thank you right now. Freedom in the name of Yeshua. From that, Lord, I thank you for deliverance, God. Lord, I thank you, Lord, for lifting that off of her now. I thank you, God, for back aches. Lord, I thank you. If, if, I, if I say something, I want you to raise your hand, all right? Father, I thank you for back aches right now in the name of Yeshua. I thank you for freedom from that in the name of Yeshua right now. All pain, you get out of their backs in the name of Yeshua. Lord, I thank you for brand new backs, ligaments, tendons, spine, bones, everything. Be made new now. Lord, I thank you, Father, for lifting this off of them now. Father, I thank you for, I hear, I see tinnitus. I speak to tinnitus in the name of Yeshua. Get off. Get out. I thank you for quietness and silence, Lord, for the first time in a long time. Because that's who you are, the Prince of Peace. God, I thank you for freedom in the ears now. I thank you for deafness also. Go. Deafness, leave in the name of Yeshua right now. I thank you for legs. Be healed in the name of Yeshua. Knees, be healed in the name of Yeshua. Thank you, Lord, right now. Complete freedom. Right now, all pain, get out. I want you to taste it. Father, I thank you, Lord, for mercy in this place. Lord, help us to treat each other in mercy as you show us mercy right now. God, I thank you, Father. I see vision. And, and what I see is a lack of discernment. God has shown someone in here that you have made a bad decision because of lack of discernment recently. And he, the Lord's saying, if you're willing to give this to me now, I'm going to restore discernment back to you as you trust in me moving forward. Father, I thank you, Lord, right now. We give you our thoughts, and I thank you for your Holy Spirit to give us discernment. And I speak to eyes now in the name of Yeshua. Anyone who has a vision problem in the left eye, I speak to that, and I command that to be healed now in the name of Yeshua. Lord, I thank you for a brand new eye, full vision now. In the name of Yeshua. I see a left ankle. Lord, I thank you. We speak to that now in the name of Yeshua. Be healed. In the name of Yeshua. Oh, pain, get out. In the name of Yeshua. Holy Spirit, I just pray right now that you would just fill everyone here, Lord, that they would know who you are. 
they would know who you are, that you're not just, you, 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 that they don't just know about you, but they know who you are, that they find you in their prayer closet when they go home. For those, and I'm talking to you who have struggled to pray. I'm talking to you who have been constantly distracted, who have a racing mind. It's because you have not surrendered at all. And so right now, Lord, we surrender all into your hands. Everything that we have held onto because we want control. We surrender into your hands, God. I thank you for freedom now. And I thank you for peace in that racing mind right now in the name of Yeshua. I see a hip and I speak to that in the name of Yeshua. Lord, I thank you, Lord, we speak to that hip. Surgery, dislocation, something of that sort, not sure. Lord, I thank you, God, for freedom right now of that pain when there's walking. Lord, I thank you for brand new or pain get out in the name of Yeshua. Now listen, everyone here has been sitting, you've been sitting here. Some of you have had something. I want you to taste out, move around right now. I want you to feel, and it may be something I called out or not, it doesn't really matter. I want you to move and feel and I want you to raise your hand if there's improvement. Raise your hand. Amen. Amen. Okay, I want you to raise your hand if, you're, if you are 100%. Amen. Praise God. If you're 100%, raise your hand. Praise God. Thank you, Lord. Okay, Father, I thank you for more right now in the name of Yeshua. I thank you for, I see a knack, Lord. We speak to that in the name of Yeshua. We command that knack to be healed in the name of Yeshua right now. God, I thank you for full mobility, movement. Every unclean spirit, you will show yourself this weekend. In the name of Yeshua, Lord, I thank you that there will be no unclean spirit that comes here and leaves without being cast out. God, I thank you, Lord, for showing every unclean spirit to us so we can deal with it. In the name of Yeshua, Father, thank you. Nak was, was you. I couldn't turn my neck all the way to the right now. Praise God. Praise God. All glory. Can we just, so far for everything he's done. I know you guys know this, I just want to remind you in case you don't know, it's got absolutely nothing to do with me. And I don't want you to look at me and think, is this Petey's thing? It's not. This is, this is Holy Spirit's thing, and He lives in you just as He lives in me. So don't, don't come up with that excuse. God doesn't want to hear it. He wants to use you. Father, I thank You, Lord, right now, Lord. I see a broken marriage. And he's allowing me to experience what you're experiencing. I'm not sure the details. Like I'm experiencing it, feeling it here, my marriage as well. <laughs> but I'm experiencing it on stage. Manifest his fruit, even when you, how the way you're treated is unfair. Manifest His love, even though the person doesn't deserve it, according to you. Treat them like Job treated his friends who betrayed him. Pray, 
have mercy, humility, there is an end in sight. There is an end at the end of the tunnel. This is not your life. It's not how it's going to remain. But you must continue trusting and walking, even though the room looks really dark right now. And you must seek his face for discernment and wisdom. Hey, shalom, everyone. I just wanted to come to you. I'm here with my brother, Mike, and um, he has something happened to him this weekend. We're here in Indiana um, at a conference. And uh, Mike, could you tell me a little bit about what happened? You, you came here. Um, you had something happen to you. The Lord did something. Can you share a little bit about that for us? Yeah, I'm excited to. Um, about a year and a half ago or so, I was started to have pain a lot of pain in my shoulders and my hips and I was ultimately diagnosed with something called polymyalgic rheumatica and it was really debilitating to the point where I couldn't do my job and I was off work for six months trying everything going from this doctor to that doctor always praying always being faithful to be anointed every weekend on Sabbath uh, but what Yahweh told me through PD this weekend hit me like a brick wall he says you keep saying that Yahweh can heal you well I realized the promise that Yahshua made only believe and I said Yahweh will heal me I'm gonna stand on my promise and Yahweh has healed me pain is gone everywhere and I just want to let everybody know that Yahweh is so powerful only believe and he will heal you. Can you tell me about where the pain was? And I had pain, real extreme pain in my shoulders. I couldn't lift my arms up over my head or every time I take a step, my hips would hurt bad. My knee was suffering pain because of the compensation and the knee pain is gone. I can crouch all the way down to the ground. I, and the amazing thing after this was is that after PD had prayed for me. I was walking out of the sanctuary and well, something's different here. I'm, I'm walking strange. It feels strange. And then I realized, well, Yahweh has realigned everything. So, you know, I, I just want to say Yahweh can and will heal you and only believe. Yahweh is so powerful. That touch of Yahshua will, will change your life. It's changed mine. Amen. Okay, guys, I just wanted to share this. This is an amazing story. You know, I, he just came forward and I had the, the honor of praying for him. And I want to let you all know that, and he knows this too. You know, this is not about me. This is not about anything that PD did. This is all about the Father and what the Father can do. Still does. He didn't stop doing what he was doing in your Bible. He's still doing it today. He's alive. And um, yeah, so Mike. Yes, he is. Thanks, Peter. Amen, amen. So, yeah, we bless.